When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're getting ready to go out. You want to get in the mood. There's a playlist for that. You move to the beat. You trip over the dog. You're not dancing anymore. You open the Medibank app and find a physio. We live in an on-demand world. And now your health insurance comes on demand too. Download the new Medibank app today. This is the SEN MLB Podcast. G'day everybody and welcome to SEN Baseball. Uh, big news this week, Warwick Southpold, Australia's very own, got called up to the majors through his first win of his major league career. Terrific performance. Um, but before we get to all of the major league news and Australian baseball news, let me introduce former Anaheim Angel, Brendan Wilson. Hello. Morning, Fred. How are you? Good, mate. How's things? Yeah, very well, thank you. And a rookie behind the mic this time round, Aaron Rose from the SEN America team. Aaron, welcome. I feel like I just got called up from AAA Buffalo. You did, mate. You're now in the big leagues. So, I feel well, like we've downgraded the studio with a Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> some people do think that. But look, it's going to be a big show. So stick with us. Um, we're going to get to some standings here to start with. Of course, Baltimore Orioles still leading the way there, 24 and 15, doing beautifully. The White Sox and the Boston Red Sox are, are both doing nicely. Of course, the teams that stink are the same teams that stunk last week as well. The Twins are there at 10 and 30. Terrible record at this point. Houston's down there. The Cubs have been uh, terrific. Nationals are still terrific. Boys, have you seen MLB this week? I'm just looking forward to to Minnesota losing 120 games. Like, they're on, they're on pace they're for that, apart. aren't they? I mean, it's a, it's unbelievable. And if you think back, um, I think back like 12 years ago now, Detroit did the same thing. They lost 122 games in a season. Yep. And then they... Five, 122? Yeah, I believe so. 118 wow. or 122. A lot. Yeah, it's a, a lot. lot. A yeah. lot of games. So, yeah. um, you know, it's one of these rebuilding phases for them, but... But, yeah, they need to ensure they keep putting fans in the stands. Otherwise, they're not going to have a team in five years with the way that the game's going. So, yep. But, um, look, I think Baltimore, apart from Warwick getting the, the W against Baltimore, they've just been flying along. They've got a very good lineup where they hit one through six with, with a lot of power. Yep. Um, so I think that they're going to maintain that. Um, a few other people think that they might be a bit streaky and so forth. They're struggling with their pitching. But right now, you can't really fault it. You've probably got to give them another 40 or 50 games to really see where they're at. And Aaron, of course, says uh, Brendan just nicely threw in there. You're actually Canadian, of course, so you have an allegiance to the Blue Jays, which we will not hold against you. But, of course, you're a big baseball fan, and uh, you're right across anything MLB. Yeah, and the Blue Jays are uh, in Minnesota. They took uh, one yesterday, and hopefully they'll take uh, all four. The, the um, other teams... Atlanta's terrible right now. They they just fired their manager, and they're really struggling. The Atlanta Braves, yeah. Um, we did talk last week. Pete Moylan went up. The Royals, his first outing was against the his former team being the Atlanta Braves. He's since had two outings there. I did say just at the top, Warwick Southpold 
generally has been a starter right through his career. He was a starter at Erie, double A, and then at Toledo, triple A. He was a starter, was used in a relief role first up to probably get rid of some nerves mm-hmm. there of Detroit. Just wet the feet. Ease him into things, and bugger me, comes up with a win. Well, that was his. I mean, he got that. He had that first little taste. He came in, got two outs, and yep. then two days later, he goes in and throws a critical two point two innings. Um, doesn't give up any runs. Gets out of a bases loaded jam. I mean, you can't ask anything more from a guy that's just come up from Triple A yeah. in his second major league appearance to go and get a win to put a stop to the bleeding that the the starter had had over the first over her, his first two point one innings. And then come up with a win. Comes out of it with a win. He's not out there. He's just trying to give up, keep putting up zeros. He's not after the win. But congratulations to Warwick because yeah. he got it and he deserved it. He was the most. He contributed the most in that game from a pitching standpoint. If the cards happen to fall that way, he gets the W. Mm. Fantastic, of course. Uh, I do know his mum flew twenty five hours to get there to to see her son. Wave that proud flag. Yeah, it was uh, it was terrific. See the the images of mum in the crowd throwing the Aussie flag around and. Um, Aaron, you did mention to me before the show his first strikeout, his first scalp in Major League Baseball was a beauty. Yeah, he'll definitely keep that ball striking out, Mark Trumbo. Trumbo's been red hot there with Baltimore along with Chris Davis. They've been really red hot in the middle of that order. I'm just not sure it's sustainable. They, their pitching staff is uh, pitching pretty well right now, but it's it's going to go downhill. Tigers was no the Baltimore. Oh, Baltimore. Sorry, yeah, I didn't know which way you were looking at that. But uh, in the NL West, San Francisco Giants currently on an eight-game win streak. They're they're traveling nicely at the moment. Only early stages of the season. We're currently at around forty games. It's the quarter mark. About the quarter mark, and a topic that you. Um, tossed up and something that I thought was a, a pretty interesting topic. We're, we're going to have a look at a quarter mark of the season, the current MVPs that you feel might be up for MVPs. At this point, not, we, we know the award's not given till the end of the season, but quarter way into the season, how do you see it standing right now? For, for my AL MVP, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, I'd give it to Manny Machado. I thought about Jose Altuve, but Houston's 17-25 and 25 and you can't really give the MVP, in my opinion, to a guy whose team's in last place in their division. And Machado, his team's in first place, and he's spectacular. He has been terrific, just currently a mini slump this week, but really has been spectacular for the team up to this point. Willow, any thoughts on that? I was going to say Trout, but based on exactly what you just said about Altuve, you can't have that because the the Angels can't win a game. they're, They're winning sporadically. Yeah. Um, and so you look at the teams that are winning and what's the spark that they've got, and Manny is exactly the reason they're up there. They have a very deep lineup, but he hitting in the two hole could hit probably three, four, or five in any other in any other team. Um, and he's just getting on base. He's hitting his home runs. He's in the top five in most categories. So, uh, and his team's winning. So that's that's a huge vote for the MVP. You just mentioned your former team, the LA Angels, have been struggling a little bit and have had some injuries at the starting pitching role this mm-hmm. week. A big move and I believe it's going to be officially announced today. Tim Lincecum from the San Francisco Giants moving across to the Angels to help out with their pitching woes. But he's had some injury concerns himself. Had hip surgery, I think, in the off-season. Um, do you think that they'll use Lincecum and move him into straight into a starting role considering they're having some starting pitching problems? So right now their starting pitching hasn't been that bad over the last, say, 10 games. So the last two starts each, the pitchers haven't been horrible. But before that they were. They came into spring training with eight 
pitchers that could be in their starting rotation. Yeah. And they've lost five of them to injury. Yeah, Garrett um, Richards is down. Uh, which and- is interesting as well because he decided not to have Tommy John surgery. He yeah. decided to have the alternate, but the, the stem cell. Um, but, yeah, so they got um, – yeah, Heaney's down. Um, CJ Wilson is also Wilson down. coming back, so he may come come back at some stage. But yeah, they, look, Linscombe should slot in. I don't know whose spot he takes right now. They might go with a six man rotation and and see. I think Linscombe probably throws in the long relief role two or three times. Yeah, um, and then and he has experience. He has two no hitters under his belt. Two Cy Youngs. Two Cy Youngs. Four time All Star. If he has, if he can show any case of that after getting his hip fixed and having, he's really had. St- Eight months off, yeah. know, three three months more than anyone else. If he can show anything, then he's a chance to to fit right in the middle of that rotation. There's a good chance that Jared Weaver may not see out the season. I mean, he's throwing yeah. 84 mile an hour, yeah, and he gets he, through. He, once he's been considered there. their ace too, and 84 mile an hour. He's not their he's their leader. He's not their ace. I mean, Garrett is Garrett Richards was 100 percent the he's ace, down but. Well, yeah, absolutely. You'll probably go to Tropiano or to um, Hector Santiago because he's Hector threw a two hit eight-inning game the other day. So yeah. I think that's where you start to look outside. Weaver's the leader, and he's a good clubhouse guy, and he's been around a long time, and that's why he's out there competing. He shows that you can compete. doesn't matter how hard you throw anymore. Yep. But um, but if Linskin comes in there and he's throwing back in the 90s and that good change-up. And he gets comes at you fiery. with such weird angles. Yeah, and he's got, he hides the ball well. If he can show anything that he's done in the past yeah. um, and contribute, then he'll get his shot in, in the rotation. A big, uh, big issue that did raise its ugly head during the week was a, a fight between uh, the Texas Rangers and the Toronto Blue Jays. I know you've got your Toronto shirt on there, but just before we get to our discussion slash debate <laughs> slash argument about this, let's have a listen to some audio that happened during the week. The pitch hit on the ground to the left side. Short hop by Beltre at third, go to second, one go, and then hold it. The ball is thrown past the first base, and we've got a fight at second base. Bautista fighting there. Beltre takes him away from Odor. And now more fisticuffs. Josh Donaldson flies into the pack. It's all red and blue on the grass behind the second base bag as fists are flying here at Globe Life Park. Bautista and Odor start throwing punches together after Bautista's hard slide into the bag at second base. Odor then threw it away, and that's when the fisticuffs began. Thanks to Fan590 for the audio on that particular play. Tremendous punch by Odua. Got Bautista right on the button. And, uh, of course, there was a classic photo of uh, Bautista with his glasses sort of half off, <laughs> his cap half, half off, off. And, and, and Odua <laughs> with just a solid uh, punch right on the jaw. Uh, interesting the way that it did. You don't generally see in MLB, you don't, generally see punches thrown and landing that was a good punch and got it and there were some other punches thrown there was some nasty in that particular fight is there some history between these two teams Aaron yeah the Blue Jays are winning that history there Jose Bautista last October decided to flip the bat right through the air as he sent one flying over the outfield fence. We have talked about the bat flip. People have got tattoos of it. It's become a gum card this year. It's going to go down as a highlight in all sorts of highlight reels forever for the moment that it happened. But, you know, I mean, you may have some bias towards it, but it was a... Just a little. It was a tremendous moment what, what Bautista did. But leading up to the actual fight, Willow, do you see that, that game and, and what led up to the... 
the slide and, and subsequent punch. I, I th- purely think that Matt Bush took obsession, uh, obsession to the, the um, sorry, Bautista took objection to the objection to the pitch. Now he came out and said he didn't hit him. Bautista took a hard slide at the base. He didn't slide into the base. He slide at the base, which is breaking the rule of the neighbourhood rule. Now, Odor gets up, takes objection. So, to so that. Bautista broke the rules. Absolutely, we're not allowed to talk about it. Apparently, no. but there's, the rules have been twisted a little. But we can't slide at the base. You have to slide into the base. So he slid and landed on the base. He had the intent. To injure. Now he could have killed yeah, him. He correct. could have gone cleats up. He could have gone Pete Rose. He, he could have killed Odor, but he messed with I the th- wrong guy. I think you're dramatizing it <laughs> just a little. When was the last time somebody died from a slide? Uh, nobody's died, but we've seen broken legs. You just you just <laughs> said he could have killed him. He's not gonna <laughs> maybe a little hyperbole. That's never gonna happen. And in soccer, they breathe on people and they die as well. So. <laughs> and hit the deck, and the bus has to come out and take them Look, away. Odor has a horrible history of fights, so that was always going to be a bad combination. With Batista going in hard after being hit, um, he thinks he was hit intentionally. He goes in hard. He was Odor, hit intentionally. He, well, you, you can't say that if, Bat- if Bannister and Bush both come out and say we had no intent of hitting Jose Batista in that game. So you have to take them at their word. That's the way it Jesse rolls. Jesse Chavez said this happens in wasn't. every this happens in every game of baseball. Right? There's 15 games a week. So. Matt Bush is a rookie, when an was, old rookie. When was the last time a, a pitcher said yes, I hit him on purpose? It doesn't happen. Well, there's there's a point. It's right. So whether they're always going to deny it. Correct. Right. So it's up to us to decide if he did it intentionally. Oh, no, it's not up to us. It's up to us to comment on it. <laughs> anyway, Odor has a horrible history of fights. Yeah. That's his second one where he's done exactly the same thing. So I think the, the combination of the whole scenario just led to that escalating. And then you have the managers coming back on the ground. You've got Josh Donaldson throwing haymakers in there. Yeah. But... Th- Batista had every right, if he thought he was hit intentionally, to go in hard to second base. And he, he went in hard the right way. Did, um, did he make any contact with Odor at all? Yes. Brushed his pants? Brushed his pants. But it was a hard but, slide. He but was it doesn't trying matter to hurt It doesn't matter, where, doesn't matter where, whether he made contact. He had the intent, and Odor saw the intent. See, that's you reading his mind. That's what we're trying to do here. But you can, you can only say, you, I can say that because you watch what he did. That has to have intent because that's if you watch the other thirty slides he's taken into second base, he slides six feet before the base. Yeah, and, and Bautista said he was doing it. Now he, he was slides, sliding hard. Now he slides at the base. The, we we we. Uh, it's I find it. I'm having trouble with the the twist on the game. The way that things. I don't see any problem with the slide. My personal opinion. I don't see any problem with that slide. But it instantly turned into a punch-up. And that's because there was history. Mm-hmm. So instantly, on the Texas Rangers side of things, 50 blokes instantly lost their marbles because they knew Batista's intent. Mm-hmm. That's some pretty good mind reading. <laughs> if you... If you it's going to completely make change the game. The way the game is being adjudicated now... You are not. You may as well. The, when a pitcher is on, Willow, you've been a pitcher. When a pitcher's on first base and a ground ball's hit to the second baseman, what do you do as a runner from first to second? As a pitcher, as a pitcher, you, oh, I, run, stu- I run and peel out into the outfield you, and get out of the way. So every runner may as well That's- just do that now because you take. 
I'm serious. You may as well just do that now. The moment a ground ball's hit to the middle infield, just peel off and let if them have you, it. If you slide four or six feet before the before the base and slide to the base, whether you're safe or you're out, you're not making contact with anyone, that's fine. Yep. But he, he, he slid at the base, so he didn't hit any dirt. He landed basically on the base. So yep. that, that is intent. That can't be considered safe if the guy's standing there trying to catch the ball. There was there was a comment made in this studio that Odua actually dropped down with the throw to maybe injure Bautista with his feed going from the feed across to first base, that he actually dropped the throw down to maybe cause some injury to Batista coming at him. And I think that would only that if that was true, then that would only be because Odor is personally has an issue with Batista. Oh, that's, that's not man. team play. Is, yeah, is, absolutely. Is, that's is not that team di- play. Is that discussion not reading the mind of Odor and we're just it assuming? We can't prove that he was We doing can't that. prove any of this. Right. But, but so you can look he at was the suspended of what actually happened. He was suspended 8 games for punching Batista in the face. Yeah. Right. Now, we have no idea if he was trying to throw the ball at Bautista's face. It looks like he drops his arm angle, but second baseman and shortstops, they drop their arm angle to get the base runner down. Was he trying to throw it at his face? We'll never know. But Rugnet Ordur doesn't really get the benefit of the doubt in my books. Who, who doesn't? Rugnet Ordur. Okay. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt because he's been in fights before, because we saw him punch Bautista in the face. Because earlier in the year, Josh Donaldson put a hard tag on him and he stared Donaldson down trying to get with him. Yep. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. So he's, I don't want to, actually, you know what? He is a dirty player. Yep. Now, you can play like that. He's allowed to wear his, Jose Bautista does the same kind of thing. Jose Bautista wears his emotions on his sleeves and he goes at it 110%. Yep. And if you're a Blue Jays fan like I am, you love Jose Bautista. And from everyone else around the league, it sounds like you hate Jose Bautista. And that's okay. There are players like that, like Bryce Harper, that are polarizing players that you either love them or hate them. Yep. And if I was a Texas Rangers fan, I would love Rugnet Ordur. He punched Bautista in the face. He's getting free barbecue for the rest of his life in Texas. <laughs> but if you're a Blue Jays fan or, you're, or you get in a scrap with Rugnet Ordur, then you're probably not going to like him. It was an interesting one. There were 14 uh, players and staff actually uh, disciplined over the incident. You mentioned uh, Gibbons, the manager, for was ejected earlier mm. in the game. And he came back, but he had to come back. When, when the punch-up happened, he came back on the field, ended up getting three games for that. You mentioned Odua got eight-game suspension out of that. Not sure if they're going to appeal or, or try and minimise the punishment out of that. But in, in the end, 14 players disciplined. They, and Bautista got one. You did hear the... Uh, yeah, because what did he do? He brushed his pants. So you that's disagree it. with one. That's the fact he that slid, we see. He, slid, he broke the rule by sliding hard. He brushed his pants. Which, there's two ways to look at it. It was his second time. We all know the first time when he tapped... Uh, the second baseman's leg. And Look he, at the way the game's changing. Right. Oh, if I was younger and I did that, I would have got sat on the bench. So, <laughs> so was he suspended because it was his second time or was he suspended because he kind of admitted it and we all know that his intent was to... There's no kind of admit. He he got suspended because a fight started right? and, and uh, placing some percentage of blame on Batista for that happening. Yeah, he for sure instigated a fight. Now, the pitcher that hit him in the first place, was he warned... 
He was no. ejected out of the game. There was no warning in place when Matt Bush. The pitcher that hit Cecil Fielder later in the game was he Prince. Well, both, yeah, was, both, sorry, Prince. Prince. Both benches were warned, so he automatically goes. He was automatically and Chavez, tossed. Jesse Chavez, the, the Blue Jay who threw the pitch, had to. He was for sure going to do that. It was an interesting. Uh, if you ever get a chance to see the video of it, it was phenomenal. We haven't I've, seen a punch like that in a while. No, that's in in that generally. And um, Willow, you've been part of many a dust-up I've seen you involved in. They tend to be little jumper punches. Yeah, they're not. There's as soon as 50 guys get involved, you grab somebody. A lot of pushing and shoving. It's hard to throw a punch from there. Guys trying to look big and then hold me back, hold me back, I hold think, me back. I think it'll be interesting, interesting to see what would happen between Gibbons and Bannister if they went at it because they were having a, a red-hot crack. So who would win? Oh, but Bannister's a big boy. He is a big boy. So I don't know, but that was interesting to see that they, the managers, getting so involved in. There's got to be some. There's got to be something else going on there. But Freddie, you uh, know about this. Tell us about old man strength. They don't play. <laughs> old man strength's fantastic. If you've got brittle bones, brittle bones, keep your calcium up, folks. It's uh, you know, if you <laughs> I walked down the street, broke a hip the other day. Well, you're, well, you're 20 years old. Look at you go, right? Just because i got some salt and pepper back here. Look, we we got to go to a break. I've had enough talking old man jokes. That's enough of that. Um, stick with us, folks. You're on SEM Baseball, but straight after the break, we're going to be speaking with uh, writer for MLB.com, Carrie Muscat from the Chicago Cubs. Stick with us. You're on SEM Baseball. Baseball is the largest spectator sport in the world. In 2015 alone, over 73 million people attended professional games in the United States, with 65 million people playing in over 100 countries around the world. Baseball is the world's second largest participation sport. Baseball is truly a game that everyone can enjoy. It's free to try and cheap to play, but most importantly, it's fun for all. From t-ball and Little League to seniors and masters, for the young and the young at heart, Baseball is the perfect game for boys and girls and mums and dads too. With over 105 local clubs in Victoria, get started by going to www.baseballvictoria.com.au to see how you can get involved today. And welcome back to SEN Baseball. We're now joined on the line by Chicago Cubs beat writer Carrie Muscat. Carrie, how are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? Pretty good, thank you. Generally, uh, that you tend to uh, travel with the team. I have noticed that the team's currently probably in the best city in the U.S. for yeah. uh, for baseball. Well, second, yeah, second best city. Though. Sorry, I oh, sorry. Behind Chicago is uh, <laughs> okay. is San Francisco, but but you haven't travelled with the team this time round. Why is that? Well, it's my bosses tend to think that I need a breather every now and then, sort of like. You know, a, a player maybe doesn't play every single day. So uh, this this weekend is my uh, chance to sort of do laundry, clean the house, and take a little break. Is it is it generally your call or the boss's call that it's uh, it, that take that break? Uh, we we tend to have um, animated debates about it. I would prefer to be in San Francisco right now, but my boss uh, told me that he would let me go to Oakland. The Cubs go to Oakland in August. And it's a uh, longer series, so that was the trade-off. Well, I was. I get to go to Oakland, so I will be back out in the Bay Area. So uh, trust me, I will not miss a trip to San Francisco. Well, I was telling the boys over here, Chicago is just such a spectacular city. Not only do you have yeah. two spectacular baseball teams right now playing at the top of top form, but you got deep dish pizza and Garrett's popcorn, my favorite. But what's the oh, feeling like in Chicago right now? Uh, there's there's a buzz, although, to be honest, the Cubs fans are a little bit in panic mode because uh, because they lost two out of three to the Milwaukee Brewers, 
and the brewers aren't doing very well this year. So, of course, there's panic has set in. Um, I think it's a little unnecessary. I mean, most people that watch the game know that it's somewhat cyclical and players will get hot, get cold. It's, it's you know, okay, they lost two out of three. They weren't going to go 162-0 and for the, for the entire season. And I think that fans got a little spoiled when they saw what a hot start the team got off to. As a Blue Jays fan listening, you guys talk about panic. I'm ready to kill you guys, just telling you. <laughs> but what's what's the thought on Jason Hayward right now? Remember, remember though, the Cubs are, you know, their their level of panic. You know, Blue Jays have won a couple World Series since the Cubs last. This is this so is true. A different level. Here. This is true. But what, what's the feeling with Jason Hayward? Are people panicking about about his contract? About him only batting two twenty five? He's he's not supposed to be a three hundred hitter with thirty home runs. Well, yes, there is panic over Jason Hayward, and a lot of fans would like to have him uh, not batting second anymore. What manager Joe Madden has said when we've asked about Hayward in the past is that he's not concerned at all because what he likes to see is that his on-base percentage is 100 points higher than his batting average. So he may be hitting 225, but his on-base percentage is 325. So even though he might not be getting the hits, he is getting on-base, and he's contributing that way. I just, I was just actually looking at his uh, stats, and he he ranks fairly high on the team in terms of runs scored. So, and he's also Madden is also very big on defense. And if anyone has seen Jason Hayward play right field, they know that one you don't run on him. So Jason has saved them quite a few runs that way. And it's, I mean, the guy is a great base runner when he is on base. So. He makes up, when he's not hitting, he's making up for it in other ways. Carrie, you just mentioned Joe Madden, manager of the Chicago Cubs. Um, in in his couple of years that he's been at the club now, what's the most noticeable thing that he's brought to the club? Is it a real balance uh, in his mental approach towards uh, picking players and treating players, and in that case, even treating the media, um, what do you see as the, the big pluses that Joe Madden has brought to the Chicago Cubs? Well, one, is very entertaining. Uh, not that that affects someone as a, in terms of being a manager. You know, you want somebody who's baseball smart. But I guess what, what I like about him is that he thinks about the players not just as, not just in terms of their statistics. He really looks at the whole package, and he, he works a lot. He tells the players, you know, you don't need just a hitting coach and a defensive coach. You also need a mental coach. And the Cubs have really gone heavier in the two years that Joe has been with the team in terms of the mental skills aspect of the game. They have about, uh, well, I think it's three people on staff that sort of rotate with the team that are there for the players to talk to. And it's, it's really up to the players as to whether or not they want to go that route. But uh, they'll, you know, talk to them in terms of confidence. They'll talk to them, you know, in, in terms of how to deal with just day to day ups and downs. Uh, it's a hard game, and a lot of time, you know, what is it? Yogi Berra said that it's ninety uh, percent mental, and then the rest is, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a hard game, and it, and a lot of the problems that a lot of these guys have sometimes is really just up in their heads. The Cubs have been waiting. It's it's everyone knows the Cubs have been waiting a long time for a World Series. Is there any way the Cubs Cubs fans can accept this team? Can this team be? Can this season be a successful season without the Cubs winning the World Series? 
That's a really good question. I haven't, uh, you know what? I hadn't thought of that. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, you know how the media works here, Carrie. You got to, you got to think on your feet. Um, I, I, they may not, uh, they may not accept that. I, the, the thing, the one thing I have noticed with Cub fans is that, for example, after losing the two out of three to the Brewers, panic has set in. And of course, a lot of Cub fans are waiting for something else horrible to happen that they're going to say, oh, it's the Cubs and that's, they're never going to win. And they're going to bring up the curse of the Billy Goat again and all of that. So they're, it's almost like they're waiting for something terrible. Uh, but I, I, uh, they may not accept anything less than a World Series championship. From my perspective, uh, I don't. To me, they don't have to win at all to have a successful season, because I still look at this team as be, being very young. I mean, they, their shortstop is 22 years old. You know, the the first baseman is 26. Uh, they're they're still the third baseman is, is 23. They're they're a very young team, so they're. They've added some veteran pieces in terms of Jason Hayward and John Lackey and Ben Zobris, but it's still development for some of these young players. And I, I guess uh, they don't have to win the World Series for me, um, but there's probably are quite a few Cub fans that uh, they, they do have to win it for them. Along with uh, Clayton Kershaw, you've probably got the top three pitchers in the country being Jake Arrieta and, and at the moment, Chris Sale. It must be an exciting time there in Chicago having two of the yep. best pitchers on the planet right now in Arietta and Chris Sale, who's red hot right now. Yeah, I wish I, I was watching the White Sox game last night when I got back home from Milwaukee, and uh, it is fun to watch them. We're kind of looking ahead to the Cubs Sox series, hoping that it'll be Sale versus Arietta. I haven't quite uh, scheduled it out to see if that's going to work, but that would be quite the showdown. Do you have one who's better than the other? I well, see, I prefer watching Arietta, but that's because I watch him more often. Like tonight, I may not be in San Francisco tonight, but I will be keeping score of Jake Arietta's games because I want to make sure I have those in my scorebook. Uh, I I like watching him because. One, I'm around him more, and I I know how hard he's worked to get to this point. And his no-hitter last year, last August, at the Dodger Stadium was one of the more perfect baseball games that that I've ever seen. I mean, just the setting was perfect. Dodger Stadium was perfect. It was a beautiful night. And and just watching him, and then the fact that the team afterwards was all dressed up in their pajamas – it on the plane to fly back to Chicago just made it even more more special. Tell us a little bit about Arietta. He he almost came out of nowhere. He was a nobody on the Orioles for a little while, and then came over, changed his uh, his throwing motion, and, and now he's almost unhittable. Well, what, what really I guess the Orioles tried to change him and tried to get him to conform to what they wanted their pitchers to do, and it it just wasn't effective for him. And when he came to the Cubs. The pitching coach Chris Fazio just said, "Look, what do what you feel comfortable with, and then and then work with that." And that's something that Fazio has done with just about every pitcher that they've had, and it seems to be very effective. As you pointed out, you know they've they've got Arietta, John Lester is doing well this year, Jason Hamill's doing well this year. I mean, the the pitchers have really responded well to his instruction. 
Arietta's a really neat guy. He's uh, I'm not sure if Pilates is a very big thing down there. But, yes, uh, it is. Yes, it is. It is? Okay, well, he's devoted to Pilates. In fact, they, we joke uh, in the Cubs' new clubhouse. They have a new clubhouse this year, and they have designated a room just for the Pilates equipment, and that we're calling the Jake Arietta room. So right. when you, you figure if you win a Cy Young, you know, that's you can have your own room. Absolutely. But he's devoted to that. He's very much a into nutrition and very careful about what he puts into his body. Uh, he may look like this huge muscle-bound guy, but he's not in there in the weight room throwing weights around. It's it's a lot more using the Pilates, using yoga, uh, just watching his his diet, and that's really contributed to, to some of his success, too. He's, feel, he's in control, and as long as he's in control of his body, he's in control of what he's doing on the mound, and it's just a very confident young man, and it's uh, been really fun to watch. I have noticed over probably this season the game's changing rules-wise and, and different setups. A couple of weeks ago, Joe Girardi from the Yankees questioned whether the shift in the infield uh, should or shouldn't stay within the game. I noticed the Cubs went with a five-man infield earlier this week. Where do you think where do you think the game really sits from a from so your journalist background? Where do you think the game sh- sits with uh, the rule changes of, of sliding at the plate? Uh, should the infield shift still be allowed in the game? Where do you feel that the game? Uh, do you think the game's travelling nicely at the moment, or they should say come back to some traditional baseball? Well, I, I'm a little old fashioned in that. I sort of like some of the traditional baseball elements. I I understand why they put in the rule at, regarding second base because they were worried about players getting injured. The same thing with the, the play at home plate involving catchers. Uh, defensive shifting really is just a result of all the analytical and sabermetric studies that teams do now. There's there's just just an overload of people that are breaking down the film and and i mean the cubs have three people that travel with the team two of them do video breakdowns and another guy is in charge of taking the scouting reports and and sort of applying that to the to the statistics and giving them a more complete scouting report and that you know when i started covering baseball you didn't have anybody like that on any of the staff so that's that's been a huge change i I think Girardi, I don't know, Girardi's, uh, I don't, I can't comment on what he's thinking. I I know when the Cubs were doing all those uh, maneuverings the other day in the, in the 12th inning, it was really kind of fun to watch. I mean, the, the first baseman and the third baseman changed places, and they also had to change gloves. Uh, and it was almost like a Little League game, you know, where, where kids do that. So it was, uh, it was just a fascinating inning to watch in terms of the defensive alignments, and it worked for the Cubs. So it's, uh, I guess I, I, I don't mind that. I, I don't think that's offending the game in any way. Yeah, it's tough to be old-fashioned with the most innovative manager in the league. Yes, it is, yes. Um, but he's he's very old. He's a good combination old-school, new-school kind of guy, you know. Um, and it's, I think that's what we like about him. He's, you know, he's not trying to reinvent the game here. He's just trying to see what he can do to make it better. 
and that's that's his. And, and again, he's looking at the whole player. It seems like the pitching staff's pitching unbelievable down there, or up there. Yeah. The offense is hitting well, and even the bench is playing really well. Is there one aspect of this team that could regress to a, to a normal? Um, the, the pitching might. The, really, to me, the, the pitching, the, you know, people like to talk about the run differential. The Cubs, I think, have outscored their opponents by 100 runs uh, through the start of the season. And that's very sexy to talk about. But to me, the whole reason the Cubs have, Put up the record that they have is their pitching. It's just—it's really been phenomenal. They haven't had a starter go under the less than five innings, which is just shows you how how steady these guys are. My concern is if any of those guys get hurt because they don't have really the depth in terms of their starting pitching. Uh, the minor leagues—they don't have much that they can count on. If if one of the five has to miss a turn. They're going to go to somebody in their bullpen and do just a, a start, sort of make up for it that way. So the really, I, I my concern is let's make sure that the starting pitching stays sharp and stays good, and then that should carry them. Okay, it's the last one from me here. Um, I did notice, of course, trying to do my job properly. We do a little bit of research, and I, I, I did... I'm very impressed. You guys know a lot. This is good. We're, well, I've done a little bit more, so hang on to the question yet. Um, <laughs> I have noticed that you've written a couple of books regards, and I noticed Maguire, Sosa, and Bonds were amongst that list. Um, we, we all know of their sort of checkered past and things and accusations and things that have gone. I'm just interested in what you feel their legacy to the game may end up being in, say, 50 years' time. We see Bonds currently uh, the hitting coach at Miami. We see Maguire's also dabbled as a hitting coach. Sammy Sosa has... Um, had issues, we'll say. Um, where, where do you feel that they're going to end up sitting in their in the legacy in the future? In in my perfect world, people would remember them for what they did on the field. And uh, I know that not everyone lives in in my perfect world, but but that's what I would hope for. I I know in in and in, in researching the Bonds book and talking to people about him. You know, they, I had a manager tell me that he, he's always planning ahead in the lineup for when Barry comes up. He wanted to make sure that no one was on base ahead of him. I watched, uh, covered Danny Sosa and Mark McGuire during that home run race in 98, and it was incredibly exciting time in baseball, and especially at Wrigley Field, just watching Sammy. You know, fans didn't care if the Cubs won or lost, but if Sammy hit a ball, over the left field bleachers and onto Kenmore Avenue, that was that was what they would be talking about for the for the rest of the day. So I, I'm I'm hoping that they're remembered as ball players. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if if that will ever happen. If there will always be that asterisk next to their name, but again, I live in a try and live in my perfect world. Would you put them in the Hall of Fame? Um. I have a Hall of Fame vote, and I have voted for uh, Bonds and Roger Clemens in the past. And every time I do, my stomach hurts uh, because it because I've talked to Hall of Famers and they don't feel that they belong because of the uh, because of the accusations. 
against them and uh, the allegations against them. And but I, I'm trying to look at them as ball players and what they've done on the field. And I'm trying to consider it that way. Well, Carrie, we really appreciate your time coming on and giving us an insight into your life over there and Major League Baseball and the like. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, we've just got to throw to a break now, it's, uh, so stick with us. You're on SEN Baseball. Okay. Uh, this is Liam Hendricks from the Oakland Athletics, and you're listening to SEN Baseball. And welcome back to SEN Baseball. We're now on the line. We have uh, the successful coach of the Southern Mariners who just won the Senior League tournament up in... Where was that, Willow? Up in Lismore, Frida. In Lismore. You were part of that as the pitching coach, but on the line we have the head manager of this particular team, Jack Lana. Jack, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for having me, guys. Mate, it was a really successful tournament. You guys ended up going through undefeated. Was this the first time this particular tournament has been run? I know the word charter will be thrown up here at some stage. The rules have changed a lot with kids at the moment, but was this the first time this particular tournament's been run? Uh, definitely for the Senior League. Um, this group of kids has come through the Little League, which is which what we would call the under-12s, and then the Junior League, which is what's called the under-14s, and now this is, this is the first time this Senior League tournament has been run. Going through the whole thing undefeated must have been... Quite uh, quite a proud moment, really. I know you, you've sort of dipped your toes in the water of, of coaching kids and managing side of thing. Which, what, which of the kids, um, you can name them, there's no problem with that, but which of the kids really <laughs> performed well this particular week or, say, above expectations uh, leading into it? Which kids really played well? Uh, there, was a, there was definitely a few that I thought played out of their skin. We had a, a couple of guys that were sort of on the fringe of sort of starting lineups and that sort of thing. So um, a couple of guys batted themselves into the starting lineup, especially into the final, which was Jai Littleton, our second baseman, and sort of our shutdown relief guy when we needed to get out of a jam. And Ridge Hogan, uh, you know, se- severely outperformed the, my expectations, and we worked on his swing a lot, you know, in, leading into the tournament, and he proved proved that he'd been working on it because only, we only see him a couple of hours sort of a week for the training leading up to it, and he's obviously gone away and, and put that into practice. So it's very well very well drilled. I'll throw this to both you and Willow. Leading into the tournament, what's kind of been the process? There's a number of sort of rep teams that are getting around at the moment and trying to fit all of the training and the schedule of the whole thing is really tight. Give us a, a brief rundown of what the process has been leading into you going away to Lismore last week. So the charters themselves start from club teams. So our charter is made up of basically all the club teams in the DBA as such, um, which which is um, Bomb Beach, Berwick. Well, it's actually based on the summer club, sorry. So you would go with Moorabbin, uh, Cheltenham, Sandringham, Springvale. Yep. Uh, those, those are the clubs that make up the charter. So there's not a great deal, but obviously they cover a lot more winter clubs. They We, we form a charter, and that happens around every state in Australia. So though we then go to Geelong and play in the state championship. So we played against the Eastern Athletics, which is East Melbourne. We played against Geelong. We played against uh, City and then the Sunraiser. And there's another couple, there's a couple of other ones as well. So we all play against in the, in the state league championships for the senior league age group. 
And then the winner of that goes, the top two teams of that go to the Australian Championships, which is what we just competed in in Lismore. So our team went through undefeated in Geelong, and then we also went through undefeated in Lismore. And now that gives us the right to go to the Australian Pacific Championships to play against the charters from from Asia. And the winner of that goes through to America to participate in the Senior League World Series, which is what we've, which we've, what, is what we've known to come and love of the Little League series, which is on ESPN where we're seeing 11- and 12-year-old kids playing. Um, Australia's hope is to get direct entry into America after this year because this year is the first year of this age group. So, But we also get direct entry for Little League now into America. They don't go through the Asia-Pacific rim. Yep. Um, so there's a few hurdles to still jump. So unfortunately or fortunately for the kids, depending on which way you look at it, we get to go to Clark in the Philippines. Um it's a military area, so there's you know we might not see the prettiest place in the world, but you're traveling and you're getting to wear that Australian top, and you actually you're playing as Team Australia. So they announce you as the team that you are, Southern Mariners, but yeah. you're actually representing Australia. So it's pretty exciting for these boys. Absolutely, um, Jack, being the head manager, um, I'll I'll share my allegiance. I actually managed you and Willow at one stage, and it was probably the most difficult moment of my life having to deal with you particular blokes. Did you have any tough time during the week? Did the kids do you have curfews? Did they get out and run a muck or were they a really well really well drilled and 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 good bunch of kids to work with? Uh the this was a special group of kids and I don't shed that lightly. This um yes we had curfews and, and we had little little rules and stuff like we made them not have soft drink just to just to purely respect the rehydration factor and in this in these tournaments and such where you're playing every day and all that all that sort of stuff but i couldn't have been more proud of the way they held themselves on and off the field um so they were as i said this is a special group of kids and and they didn't and they couldn't have made me any more prouder to to coach them so there wasn't really a need for sort of looking after them they they were just any step of the way you could see they were in line and, and there for a purpose it was really great to see with I did mention just at the top there that there's so many teams that do travel around. Is it going to be tough to keep this squad together and and moving forward to was it the Philippines you said well over yeah off to off to Clark in the Philippines Clark in the Philippines when when will that be uh, we leave July ninth July nine so um, will you be able to keep that squad together and train leading up to the Philippines. Yeah, that's a it's a really good question, a really interesting question. Obviously, you, you touched on what happened earlier, uh, and that's obviously the schoolboys was a, was a major part in the lead up, and, and we had a few of the boys uh, doing that sort of stuff as well. So we had to really tailor our schedule for our training so that we made sure we got the work, but we didn't obviously want to overwork the kids leading into the tournament, so that would so they would be tired. So it was really quite um, particular in, in how we went, but. Leading up to it from now, there's obviously some kids that, that are going to entertain going to the academy. I'm not sure of what, what's going to happen there, but there's also a couple of kids, a couple on the younger side, who are, who are trying out for the under-15 World Cup team. And then, you know, if, they're, if their baseball's good enough and the, and the coaches see fit, you know, they're, they're going to have a really hard decision uh, coming up because I think that tournament's around the same time as ours. So we've got a lot of talented kids in our team. And it's good to see for, you know, Australian baseball, but Victorian baseball, and especially in the southeast region, it's really good to see coming through. Unfortunately, what we're going to see, though, is, or what's going to have to happen is our kids are going to have to make a choice on whether they go to the Major League Baseball Academy on the Gold Coast or whether they come with us. 
the word that we've had after immediately winning this tournament is that we have seven kids eligible for the academy, five going for the full-time and then two for the under-15s. The immediate word that we've had from after getting Baseball Australia's support, saying that kids can go to the academy and then be, come home early to go to Manila with us, uh, to the Philippines with us, uh, the response that they've had is they're going to have their um, scholarships revoked. So we're actually waiting to find out what's actually going to happen because there's a lot of dis- um, segregation in Ast- Baseball Australia with the old style of the state programs into the Australian teams and then this new charter system which they're trying to force around the world. So it's going to be very interesting to see. Hopefully it all comes together and, and the kids don't lose out. That's the big issue that, that I see and have. Um, but early days are there's still a lot of people that like to think that one is more important than the other. And look, we've, I went through the old style and I enjoyed it very much. But I think for every opportunity, you should be giving the kid every chance to go to every one of them, provided their parents are okay with it and they've got the financial you know, backing and stuff because all of these things cost money to get to where we are. Now, from this point on, it doesn't. But to get to where we are, the parents have spent probably 10 grand if their kids played in all teams that were available from the start of the year to now. And we're only five months into the year. So putting that aside... We, there's going to be some interesting conversations go along with Baseball Australia because we got their support and then it looks like someone from within has revoked that immediately within 24 hours. So it's going to be interesting, but hopefully for the kids, it can, we come out on top with the kids not having to choose and potentially leaving teammates behind or missing out on Australian Major League Baseball opportunity academy opportunities. Sounds like these are the best 14 and 15-year-old baseball players in the country. Down the road, five, six years, what's the future for most of these kids like? I, we've, we, Jack and I have discussed it. So Jack went to college, and I obviously played professional with the Angels. So we've had these debates a lot. Jack's got a very good, strong opinion on college baseball, and I'm sure he'll go into that in a second. And I have to, I've had the pro ball experience, but now I'm actually starting to lead to college. So we talk to these kids openly and honestly about the, the possibility of either. Yeah, so what are these kids dealing with five, six years down the road in that decision? Uh, five, six years down. So, yeah, leading into college, obviously they've got to finish high school as a priority if they want to look at that college route. So that's that's the key for them. So that's that next stage. Obviously continue to play good baseball. Um, but, yeah, make sure they finish that high school so that they can pursue that college dream. Because I went, as Will, I just said, I went through the college route and it is an amazing experience. You're playing 50-odd games of baseball in the spring and you just, you know, it's just a fantastic time. So that decision, what what... Interesting to talk to the two of you about this, but what's the decision between going and signing with a minor league team and trying to go that route versus going to college? It comes down to the the kids and their parents, basically, and they talk to people like us that have been through it, and we talk about all the pros and all the cons with it and and just let them make a decision. Now, obviously, you've got to get an offer from a professional team to potentially sign, or that that conversation has to start. And with college, you actually have to do a lot of the work yourself where you can get involved in some people that will support you and help you get out. But I know Jack sent over 3,000 emails to get into college, and he had 18 responses, I think, yeah, and that's a good response. And that, you know, so that's <laughs> that's all doing it yourself. Um, but there's there's some organisations around that will help you get there as well. But again, it's more money. You got I think it's five grand to sign into one of these guys, and then they have all the links to the colleges, and they do the footage and go and film your games and so forth, and 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 hopefully help you get there. But you're trying to push people towards going to college. It sounds like no, we're not pushing them anyway. We just talk about the the good things that that go on on both. I would never push a kid either way. I I think that signing is better in some instances because you don't know what could happen in that four years. Uh, But then I think that 
college is better because you need to develop and you could potentially be a first round draft pick versus signing at 18 and maybe getting enough to fill your lunchbox for the, for a couple of years. Like there's a whole raft of different things to think about and go through. Uh, I, I especially think if, if the kid wants to pursue baseball, that all those opportunities are going to open up regardless. And if they're talented enough, they're going to get those offers. But if, if they pursue that college lifestyle, that college dream, they come out of college potentially with a degree and, they're, and, they, and they happen to get drafted, they're a 22-year-old going into the system, not an 18-year-old who's maybe not as developed or, or hasn't developed the right way or, and they might have a shorter lifespan in, in the system. You know, it, you've got to play well in that pro ball to keep going. So college system, you can work yourself into it, play hard, play against kids your own age rather than going into that, you know, where the birth certificates don't matter. So that's, that's my opinion. Um, and, you know, there's not over 9,000 or 10,000 colleges versus trying to get onto 30, 30 professional teams or whatever. So I, I liked my chances going the college system and, and, it, and it worked for me, but it doesn't work for everyone. So as Will I said, you've got to get that first offer to, to have those options open to you. So it's it's really interesting time for these kids. There's talk all the time in the Major League Baseball about pitch counts and Tommy John surgery and the young guys trying to work their way up and build their arms up. But it also it often comes back to their little league days and when they're young. What what's the what sort of pitch count protocol is there something about curveballs and fastballs? What what sort of precautions do you guys take to make sure young kids don't blow their arm out? The kid, the kids have uh, sorry the the league has set set pitch counts. So at 14 or at 15 or 16, these guys are allowed to throw any pitch they like. Um, they have certain pitch counts based on pitches, days off, back-to-back days if they pitch and so forth. But Jack and I also um, had some communication with some of our the, the academy guys in Victoria, that manager, Damien Shanahan and so forth, and got their perspectives on what they wanted. So we had the, the kids' best interest going forward. Um we ensured that basically they never went through beyond what they were at in their preparation. We had, um, we were fortunately we had a couple of starters that were able to go up to the eighty pitch mark. Um, so we we used that in the sec in each of their second starts. But in their first start, they only went to forty five or fifty pitches. And then, and then the other guys because they were relieving and because we're playing so many games in such a short period of time, we need to have pitches every every day. So we'd have guys throw basically thirty pitches max. So they could either have a day off and then contribute the next day and still be fresh. So it doesn't matter. Like they could throw fifty pitches and be fresh, as, or they could throw ten and, and not be fresh. So we've got to manage the kid, the rule, and obviously then the best interests of their their arm going forward. Uh, Jack, just one more from me, mate. And and this is slightly off topic. You you probably know where I'm going to go. You've had your own battles at the moment, just with some illness. But uh, how are you tracking with that? Uh, full steam ahead. Obviously, just before this tournament started, I had a I had um, 28 fractions, is what they call it, which is um, radiation treatment on my leg uh, for for you know the big C word, yep. um, which is not something you talk about lightly. Yeah, and, I, I didn't want to sort of go too much into it, mate. As I say, I know you're sort of having your battles at the moment, so but no, I just saw it as a topic that we needed to touch on. So. Yeah, so I, I pushed hard to be part of this tournament. It was touch and go for a while whether I'd actually get there. Um, obviously, the, I pushed my radiologists and all that sort of stuff to make sure that I was finished in enough days that I could recuperate before we ended, ended up travelling. So the boys all knew that. The parents of the kids knew that. And they were fully supportive. And anything away, because they could see it in my eyes or see how I was feeling each day, whether I was in pain, 
you know, or just or just generally hurting or sore, and they were great. You know, they'd carry my bags or offer help or can I get you anything? It was just, as I said, I, as I touched on earlier in the interview, that the, the boys are just a special group of kids, and you know, I can't thank them enough for what they did, especially you know, all the coaches and and Rick Aweo. It's um, just a special group with at you know right at the spe- right at the right time. You know, the right group of kids at the right time. So it was just really special and. Yeah, I'm sure you can hear me cracking up a little bit. It's quite quite emotional time. So it was it was a really emotional journey. Once we found out what was going on, um, and once we told the kids, we didn't know if Jack was one going to be able to go to Lismore. And the kids, I mean, you think about how much you love your coach and stuff, but this group really bonded and listened to Jack. And in his first coaching experience with any kind of kid level where they actually can play. It's really bizarre to see that. There's a lot of pushback and, oh, it's just a coach. So they, the kids literally bonded to Jack instantly. And then when we found out that potentially he wouldn't come to Lismore, it was like, it was a tearjerker, mate. It was yeah. it was no good. And then now he gets through, we find out, we, we, we confirm he's definitely going. And now we go and win this thing. And now he's got to go through his second phase. So there's a whole raft of questions still up in the air. But the kids themselves, I've never seen anything like it from 14 and 15-year-old kids react, treat, respect, care as much as you could imagine like it was it's outstanding and hats off to those boys they're, they're fantastic yeah good on you jack um you know I've, I've known you for a while mate known the family the only problem is your barrack for st kilda i see <laughs> that as a see that as a bit of an issue mate but no look <laughs> congratulations mate really terrific performance as well i just said first dipping the toes in the water on the managing side of thing go through undefeated up there in lismore really did a terrific job with the southern mariners and uh, thanks for coming on today. And good luck when this heads off to the Philippines to yourself and to Willow. And, um, you know, I hope you represent really well and good luck with it all, mate. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me. Terrific. Just stick with us there for a sec. Look, folks, that's the end of the show here today on SEN Baseball. Really appreciate you sticking with us, Willow. Thanks for coming on. Uh, pleasure to be here as always. And for Rookie, you did not a too... We, we treated you pretty nicely. We didn't go too hard on you, Aaron, did we? I was expecting worse. You guys are softies. That was the problem. You came in here thinking we're going to throw punches about the Batista and I was all defensive coming he, in. He was worried. He, he was, was really scared. worried about how we were going to attack his team. But you did well. I, I think did we well. did. Uh, we, thanks, we, boys. we went lightly on you. So thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, and that's all we have here today on SEN Baseball. Make sure you tune in next week here on SEN Baseball. Thanks for listening to the SEN MLB podcast. For more SEN America podcasts, head to sen.com.au. To keep up to date with the latest American sports news and interviews from around SEN, follow SEN America on Twitter at SEN America and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SEN America.